it wasn't that I wanted to kill myself. It was that I wanted my life at the time to end as I knew it. I wanted the pain to end. So I didn't want to die. I just wanted the pain to stop. Welcome to another episode of Mental Roots, or rather the Red Mental Roots podcast. I'm your host Nathan Aday, founder of the Mental Roots movement, as I call it. So, animator, podcaster, poet, media creative, anything creative, I'll <laughs> have a go at it, um, basically. But um, yeah, the Mental Roots movement is all about just creating a safe space for young black people across the diaspora, especially young black men. Um, to just for us to keep it real with each other you know um, and just without judgment just share how we feel share the the different thing the difficulties we've experienced whether it's racism whether it's challenges with fitting in in the workplace challenges at home um, because there's not enough platforms that encourage us as young black men to just keep it real with each other um, and help each other to heal emotionally um, because there's a lot we go through and yeah it's uh, if you if you know about mental roots, you already know what this is about. But that's just a quick intro for those who are new. Um, and this is obviously part two of my chat with the A Game Consultancy, or at least two thirds of the A Game Consultancy. So they're basically an amazing uh, coaching um, company that was founded in the middle of the pandemic in 2020. Um, uh, and three Adams uh, are behind it, all coming from different backgrounds, and they come together to bring this amazing Avengers Assemble <laughs> of uh, a coaching business. Um, so I had two thirds um, of the group, Adam Hindley and Adam Smith, um, join us. And if you haven't heard part one, go and check that out. Um, if you're watching on YouTube, it's in uh, the link above on the screen. And in that part, we talk about the importance of cultivating a positive mindset. Um, and the different things that feed into a mindset so you know not just thinking positive thoughts but matching it with actions to add weight to those words and for your body to really grasp that you're uh, creating a new habit so yeah really solid practical stuff which some of you have found really helpful um, and so yeah go and check that out if you haven't done so already but this is part two where we delve a bit more into their personal stories so Adam Smith talks about his childhood navigating um, having dyspraxia. We, he talks about what that condition is and how that affected him mentally. Um, obviously, these are white guys, but of course, if you've been watching the past few episodes, you'll know that as men in general, regardless of ethnicity, there's so many common threads in what we go through um, when it comes to mental health. You know, it's not a joke. Men are more statistically likely to commit suicide than women so there's something that we all share as men um that you know we can learn from each other when it comes to us learning to be more emotionally transparent um but before i we get into the interview um just an update on some things that have been happening um obviously first of all um it's, it's so sad that jamal edwards has passed if you've seen on instagram um a few days ago i posted on my on the story um a, a dm that i sent to jamal edwards 
um, which only last month actually, so very recently. Um, and yeah, it's still a mystery to me how he passed, but um, at, the, at the young age of 31, to see the positive impact he had on um, so many people, not just the black community, but so many people in music, so many people in general, you know, the various mentorship programs he had to encourage other young people to get into entrepreneurship, other young people to express themselves creatively with media. Um, I just send condolences to all his friends and family. Um, and it's just another sobering reminder of how brief life is. And um, as black men as well, we do so much, we work so hard, but we need to take care of our health because, you know, our lives could just go like that. So. Um, with all that being said though like uh, it's, it's mad like I sent him a DM about Mental Roots saying that people like him inspire me to carry on with uh, Mental Roots this vision to positively impact young black men um, and obviously as famous as he was I'm sure he didn't get time to see it which is fine but it's like it's, it's, it's crazy to think that just you know if, if he was still alive would we have been able would he have been able to see what this was all about but it doesn't really matter i'm still gonna this inspires me to even keep going harder um, and to keep on doing mental roots because he's left a legacy many people like him have left a legacy of inspiration for other young black men like me so um that's why i'm still here i'm still carrying on um and what else has happened oh yeah yesterday just came back from london um, so I'm submitting Mental Roots as a brand um, to many different competitions and um, opportunities for funding um, because that's really important to keep this thing going because this is, there's more to this than the podcast if you're new. Um, this, there's a bigger Mental Roots brand that I'm building um, and so the idea is to create more short animated films um, to accompany the podcast. So. The, the themes of the podcast feed into the animations and vice versa um, but yeah mainly um, it's the podcast that I'm focusing on at the moment um, so yeah I, I've been part of the uh, violent crime prevention um, organizations competition uh, they, they have a ventures competition for young entrepreneurs like myself um, and yesterday or actually last Thursday as of the time I'm recording this um, yeah so we had a great time in London I think it was in Westminster um, and I did my 15 my 15 minute um, presentation or was meant to be 10 but I think I went over a little bit um, yeah just talking about the heart behind Mental Roots uh, I linked with the other semi-finalists as well who also have great ideas um, if any of them are listening shout out to you guys you guys are so inspirational um, and God willing the connection we made on that day will be fruitful um, for all of us moving forward but shout out to the entrepreneurs shout out to Jeremy Chapman um, and Angela and the various uh, VCP staff behind this amazing opportunity um, and yeah basically the winners from this will get funding um, big funding and really good entrepreneurial mentorship um, with their brands um, even for those who don't make it to the final we're still going to get some follow-up mentorship which is great because that's what i need for this young mental roots brand um and so you guys are making a difference you guys uh the encouragement you send me in dms and emails 
means a lot so thank you to you guys and uh, we're moving up we're moving up in the world so long intro um but yeah that's just the update on things so let's get into it part two of my chat with um two of the adams of the a game consultancy and in this part they share a lot more about their life stories so as i said with adam smith him sharing about his dyspraxia with adam hindley he talks about his body confidence journey dieting his yo-yo um experience with gaining weight and losing weight but um also addressing the mindset behind why you know he was relating with food the way he was and as men you know we need to talk about this you know how food impacts our mental health and how our mental health impacts our diet etc so those are the different themes we've got let's get into it so um let's get into the next bit um keeping an eye on <laughs> the zoom time but uh yeah i, I wanted to to what we do on this podcast is we keep it very real um and i always respect my guests for how much they're willing to open for up about their personal lives and their personal stories and mental health is ne never something that's fully resolved we're constantly on that journey of recovery and improving our mindset etc so um if you guys don't mind it, it would be nice to just hear about what it was like for you guys growing up as men um, and I think the good thing about this podcast is it's a predominantly male audience. And I think as much as being a black male is um, a whole experience in itself, there's still one thing I've learned, especially through the clubhouse room that we're in, is that we have a lot more in common as men than we realise. Um, at different ages, backgrounds, nationalities, we realise that, wow, I actually resonate so much with these people. And it's funny because... When you think about the school days, you know, it's funny, like even for me as a 23 year old turn, becoming 24, it's funny how like not that many years ago in secondary school, there's certain people in school who I felt like, oh, they're so uncool, they're so this, they're so that. But then you reconnect with them years later and you're just like, hang on, we're so, we're so, so much more similar than we realise. So um, yeah, just kind of take us what it was like navigating childhood and that that weird transition into adulthood called teenagehood you know what was that like <laughs> for you mentally and what different factors were feeding into your uh, mental health and your self-perception growing up so any one of you can answer that first you go Hanley. I went first last yeah time. yeah yeah I'll um so for me like I mentioned a little bit earlier my kind of backstory relates to relationship with food and dealing with binge eating which again when it comes to being like binge eating and things like that I think when you have bulimia anorexia things like that people often see the results because you're really skinny and really skinny isn't the normal but when you you deal with binge eating and you end up putting on weight and you fluctuate weight a lot and you lose weight you put it on you lose weight you put it on and people don't understand that because overweight is part of the new norm and this is something that um, I think a lot of people, a lot of males in particular, do deal with, but it's just not talked about enough. So it, it's a topic like that. that I'm I'm very passionate about bringing bringing awareness to because I think there's a lot of people that deal with it and haven't even recognised it yet, and haven't even recognised the fact that they do do that yet. But um, hopefully, sharing my story a little bit can can help you with that. So my mum and dad 
are, are awesome. Like the best mum. My mum is so supportive. She gives me everything, anything, kind of everything that I really wanted. And it was great. But what happened when it comes to food when you're growing up is um, make sure you eat all your food on your plate. You're not having any dessert until you've cleaned your plate kind of thing. So not only am I taught, oh, when you're full, so I've, I'm full, I'm, I'm done eating, but I need to force more food down to then be rewarded with more food. So yeah. this these kind of habits that you're taught from a young age mean that overeating leads to reward. Yeah. So, and I think, would you say it's especially for men as well? Because boys are expected to eat more than girls, I guess. Or So would you say that's also part of it or? Yeah, I, I think I think it, it would be part of it, and I think it is. It's slightly slightly different for different people, but you think about yeah. it. As soon as two generations ago, when like grandparents and stuff were in the war, like they're in the war phase, and they had food stamps, and they wasn't sure when they were getting the the, the next meal, and all these kind of things, because everything was happening around World War Two and everything like that. World War One and World War Two, so people didn't know what. F- food that when they were having their next meal in these cases so they was told to make sure they eat everything so this is then systemically passed on to the generation later who tell their kids oh make sure you eat all your food but then there's foods a lot more readily available at that point and then it gets pushed on again and like now it's eat all your food and it everyone's got a fridge full of food in most cases anyway and it's like because of this systemic nature of how it's been progressed and passed on and um, obviously going in, don't want to go deep into like the systemic side of things because when we're talking about black, like black people's mental health and stuff, there's so much systemic stuff that's going on, but this is just one element of it. I think Um, for when it comes to food relationships with food and stuff that, yeah, I was taught when I was younger, nothing, this isn't a fault of my mum and dad because this is just like I say, it's a systemic issue, but um it's something that they've reward they rewarded me with more food for eating more food than what I could handle, <laughs> basically. Yeah. So it led to me putting on weight when I was younger and when I fluctuated. And I met my first girlfriend when I was sixteen years old. And I was with her three years, but when I when I were about eighteen was a point of where I'd put a fair bit of weight on, and we were actually in bed together. And what could ever happen as being a boy's worst nightmare happened to me, because she started crying when we were doing the deed. We were doing the deed, she started crying, and she said, uh, I obviously stopped, asked her what's going on, why are you upset? And she goes, I'm, I'm no longer, I don't find you attractive anymore because you've put on so much weight. So an 18-year-old lad hearing this, it's like, you can imagine that's like a knife through the chest kind of, um, kind of <laughs> yeah. point. It is the worst thing you could possibly hear. Yeah. And basically, it made me shift my focus. So the binge eating stopped. But the dieting and the exercise started. And this is when I first got into exercise. I think it's probably what led me to end up doing physiotherapy at uni because I just had a keen interest in, in the body and how it all went and how it all worked. Mm. So I lost a lot of weight quite quickly and I got back to being fit and healthy. Then I went to university, started drinking. My mental health started to suffer again. So I went back to the roots of binge eating. So my weight started to yo-yo a lot. And I'd find I'd come home from uni uh, I have like six weeks off. I'd get in good shape, lose some weight. Then I'd go back and everything would kind of keep starting and go back and forth. And basically it got to a point, there's a picture of this on my Instagram of where I'm holding a bottle of wine with a straw in it. So doing like a straw pedo of a bottle of wine. 
which oh. is basically you let the air, if people don't know what a strawpedo is, the straw in the bottle lets the air out so you can down it quicker. So that was a thing that I did regularly as a pre-drink. <laughs> so okay. It was not, it's like not saying it to impress anyone. It's kind of horrific when you hear about it, but it's, um, it's what I was doing. And there was in this moment, I realized that, right, enough is enough. I'm going to cut out, cut out the, the binge eating, cut out the booze. I'm going to really focus on myself. And then 18 months later, I stood on a bodybuilding stage and competed at like sub 5% body fat. So I went from one extreme of being overweight, losing just over five stone, 30 kilos and competing in a bodybuilding competition. And it wasn't until the day after the bodybuilding competition that I ate 10,000 calories. So eating 10,000 calories in one day is a, a massive feat in itself. That is a lot of food. But it was that point I realized, okay, I haven't kicked the binge eating. I haven't kicked the habit. So I had this emotional attachment with food and binge eating. And what I was doing, I was shifting my emotional attachment to exercise and excessive dieting. And then the, the emotional attachment was just shifting. But I never sorted out up here. I never sorted the mindset out. So what we were saying right at the start, when it's like we're a mindset company that focuses on improving these things, if you don't sort this out, yes, you might lose some weight, but you'll put it back on because you haven't dealt with your mindset towards it. Yeah. So it was, wasn't until that point about nearly four years ago now that my true self-development journey started and I started working on my mindset and my relationship with exercise and my relationship with food and changed it from a, this is something that's going to make me look better to this is something that's going to make me healthier and help me perform better. And as soon as I started to do that internal di- that internal work and change my mindset around that and the internal language I was using around food and around exercise, that's when I truly started to see longer term, more, more sustainable and more positive results with it. So that's kind of the basis of my backstory to where we are today. And if I were going to break it down into any tips, um, it'd be more around stop focusing on what you weigh your weight doesn't define you. Um, if, if it is something to do with weight loss and body image and these kind of things, your weight doesn't define you. So throw your scales away. It doesn't matter. Nobody cares about how much you weigh unless you're a boxer and you're trying to fit in, like you're trying to cut weight for a fight. Nobody cares about how much you weigh. So lose the scales. And then the second point is stop focusing on being lean or being whatever for your next holiday in eight weeks time think how can i do yeah how can i do one percent changes every single day for the next two years to make a sustainable long-lasting return on this because this isn't this isn't a a thing that happens overnight something called the compound effect it's like the eighth wonder of the world that if you get a penny and you double that penny for 30 days you'll be a millionaire Mm. so Imagine the work, if you do 1% every single day and you start progressing a little bit more every single day, rather than going Monday, I'm going to start my diet. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to start meditating. I'm going to drink loads of water. I'm going to make sure I'm hitting 10,000 steps. Like if you're doing that, then you're already setting yourself up to fail because it's not an achievable standard. But if you went, okay, day one, I'm going to start drinking some water. Day two, I'm going to do a five minute guided meditation on calm. Day three, I'm going to actually just go to the gym, get my bearings a little bit, and we're going to go from there. 
like you start progressing just 1% every single day rather than going all the way to the top straight away. They're, they're, that's kind of the attitude that people need to take around, not only the, men, the physical health in that kind of capacity, but when it comes to your mental health as well and doing these small little steps that are going to progress you to the, the right way. Mm, I love that. Um, and I, I, I like how you tackled that because um, that's, I guess, a new subtopic for the podcast now is um, body image, right? And the, the motivations we as men have behind our dieting and the, and the way we do that so um yeah that's that's definitely something i want to learn more about like the link how image conscious men are um about body because the conversation tends to be a lot around women and how women are body conscious but men are also very body conscious and i'm sure all of us can relate we've all felt the pressure at some point to look a certain way um rather than to feel healthy, rather than to feel whole. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up, um, Hindley. That's so. a big challenge because you've got, yeah. with, with groups of men, it's your mates that are doing it worse than anybody else. Yeah. Oh, you fat twat, you fat bastard. Oh, look at the tits yeah. on you. It's like, <laughs> imagine going up to a girl like, and just saying that, like a group of girls just going, oh, you fat bitch, oh, look at the tits on you. It wouldn't happen. <laughs> It just wouldn't that's, happen. That's very true. That's very true. So not yeah. only are you ridiculed by strangers, you sometimes get it worse from your actual friends. Then you yeah. have media going, um, you've got like men's health, which is airbrushed, which, you know, mm. and there's um, obviously the big sort of thing around steroids as well, like achieving yeah. this unattainable physique of wrestlers and, oh, but, you know, look at, look at uh, the rock he's absolutely jacked and it's like yeah he is i, I wish i looked like that really you want to wake up at 4am and go to the gym for three hours and eat nothing but egg whites chicken and broccoli for eight meals a day is that what you want no i don't think so <laughs> so um plus all the other you know gear that people like that will be on and what have you and then oh but don't get too ripped because you know, I need something to cuddle on an evening. Dad bods are more attractive now. Oh, don't get a dad bod with your tits. And then your mate goes, ah, oh, look at the tits on you. You're like, <laughs> your head just wants to explode because there's just all yeah. this noise and yeah. what's acceptable, what isn't. Ultimately, it just comes down to what do you want? Yeah. Forget everybody yeah. else existed just for a moment. Do you like going to the gym? I say this to people when they go, oh, I need to go to the gym five times a week. Do you enjoy it? Uh, no, <laughs> I, I hate it. I'm like, okay, what do yeah. you enjoy? Well, I love um, sounds really weird. Go on, I love um, I love like playing badminton. Why is that weird? Oh, it's no, mm. you're just hitting something over a net with a stick, but football, you're just kicking a, a pigskin into a net. I said, you can make anything sound stupid, <laughs> right? So <laughs> it's just that some are more acceptable mm. than others. But and, if you like doing badminton, go play badminton five times a week or go play twice yeah. a week. It doesn't matter. Find something that lights you up and do that and enjoy it. Because who's yeah. to say what my opinion is or his opinion is about what's right or wrong for you? And, you know, yes, having a six pack would be fantastic, you know, for a certain individual. But to attain that regularly means there's got to be a lot of sacrifice to be done. Are you sacrificing a lot of uh, happiness in order to achieve the six pack for example 
So it all just comes down to what your blueprint is, what you think your body should look like, and then doing something to get close to that goal. Hey everyone, I hope you're enjoying the episode so far. Before we continue, um, I just want to share with you something very briefly, something that's really been helping me um, with my concentration and productivity with all the work I've been doing, finishing uni, uh, finishing the first two Mental Roots short films, which I can't wait to share with you. All of that stuff, in addition to the podcast, needs some high-level concentration and motivation, especially during a pandemic. So if you're a busy guy like me, you've got loads of things going on and you want something that can boost your productivity, I highly recommend some um, natural caffeine um, energy um, shots that I've been using, which you can mix with tea or water or whatever you want. Um, It's got a nice rich raspberry flavor packed with vitamins and a really good natural caffeine, which doesn't give you the crash and high calories like a lot of high caffeine drinks that are commercially sold. So if you want to order those shots for yourself and see how they can help you, then check out the link um, uh, in the written description for this episode on whatever platform you're watching on, watching or listening on. Um, and if you want to let me know personally how they help you when you do order them and try them for yourself, then message me at my personal Instagram page, which is at Nath underscore a day. So if you're watching on YouTube, it is right here on the screen. You can see it for yourself. Um, but if you're just listening on a podcast platform, it is at N-A-T-H underscore A-double-D-A-I. Message me there to find out about more about that product and any other products that I've been using because I've been using other products as well, um, as well as different workout techniques and things to help improve my physical health, which in turn improves my mental health. So thanks for listening. Let's get back into the episode. Enjoy Mm. yeah it's like i do crossfit and if you're going to break that down is i pick up heavy weights and put them back down in the same spot repetitively it's like it sounds stupid when you say it like that what it is but uh, it's it's just so true it's like you need to you need to have that and have that element of why why are you doing it go back to your your why um which is something that we touch on a lot of like why do you do what you do? It's like, do you want to be a healthy, fit person? It's like, do you want to do it to look good? And if you're doing it because you want to look good, why do you want to look good? Are you doing it because you want to hit this magical number on the scales? Um, because a lot of the time people are, oh, I look good when I weigh 70 kilo. It's like, sweet, will you? Well, what about if you're eight? Uh, what if you're about 71? What, you're not going to look good then? Like, what's mm-hmm. that extra kilo going to do kind of in that sense there? And it's like, Oh, for me, that was my shift. I went from losing that. It's like, oh, when I step on stage, I want to be 83 kilo. That's going to be my weight. When I stepped on stage, I were 85 kilo for the first competition I did. And then the second competition, I were 80. So it was like, I lost, I lost extra weight in that time, but it was because I was chasing the numbers and it was, that was not the right way to do it. Whereas like, if I focused on now, I focus on my performance. It's like, well, yeah, well, if I want to lift this little bit of this, I want to lift this weight, I want to lift it heavier and I might need to eat a little bit more and I need to train for performance, but I don't care about what that isn't going to make or break my day. If I stand on the scales and I put on a pound, whereas mm-hmm. some people it, it does. And could be a that's... bowel movement, could just be one bowel movement and you lose a pound, you know, and then you've yeah. got all these <laughs> around whether you went for a shit or not. And <laughs> yeah. the thing is that, like, it's, it's the language of when and then. 
So when I lose the weight, then I'll be happy. No, you won't. You can decide to be happy right now. Why wait? Perspective. Get it over and done with and be happy now. And then you go, oh, well, I can't. It, you know, it, it's got to hit the target. What target's that? Who decided? Well, me. Mm. Okay. So if you decided, would you agree that you can decide to be a different weight and be happy? Well, yeah, mm. I guess so, actually. Okay, cool. So there we go. <laughs> yeah. It's perspective. That's That's the thing. What standard are you measuring yourself against and why? Why is that standard so important to you, you know? So, yeah, another key question for everyone to think about. Um, Mr. Smith, how much do you relate with um, Mr. Hindley? Like in terms of, was body image also part of your struggle growing up? Were there other elements as well that you want to um, talk about? Yeah, I mean, again, on the surface, I had everything. You know, uh, two parents that are still together to this day that love each other dearly. A nice house, a great car, went on holiday to America every year, blah, blah, blah. But my childhood was met with a lot of pain and frustration, which was around um, school. I thrived in sport and everything else, but academically, I knew what the words were. I could understand it intellectually, but I couldn't write it down quick enough. When I tried to write it down too quick, my dyspraxia, which wasn't diagnosed till the age of 15, so and no one really knew what dyspraxia was, you know, back in the day of 17 years ago. <laughs> um, so it's uh, it, it was just about becoming a thing where people started to understand what it was. I mean, my mum being the woman that she is, researched it to the nth degree. Had she not, my mm. teachers wouldn't have known what it was. Some of them never heard of dyspraxia before. So, mm. you know, some people just thought it was fine motor skills. Oh, it means you can't ride a bike and it means you can't use scissors. That was what it was. No, it's like a form of ADHD. It's like a form of ADD. So... I can become distracted. It's like, oh, there's a squirrel, there's a squirrel, <laughs> you know, very easily by shiny object syndrome, right? So when I was getting talked at at school, the information was just coming in one ear and going out the other. And I'd always want to go in with the right attitude and no one understood why I was being such a disturbance. It was because I tried to write so quick to keep up with the notes then I couldn't actually read my own writing anymore. So I'd go, what's the point then? Slam the book down. How can I start to annoy people and in order to regain some significance? Because I've just lost an enormous amount of significance right now because I feel stupid. You know, I've got like the sats at the time were like fives. I think I can't even remember what it was. Either way, it was either one or five was good, <laughs> whatever. And I got like the opposite. So say one's good, I got like fours and fives. You know, I was like, oh my God, I'm going to be in the bottom set for everything. Lo and behold, I was. The school I went to was in... It was quite a strange school. It was described as, you know, the, the rough version of a school in Harrogate. Harrogate's the poshest place in England. So the rough version of that school really was uh, nothing compared to others. But there was, it's like any school with kids. There was fights, there was bullying, there was smoking, there was drugs, there was you name it. There was stuff that should be happening in a high school. So I was put with um, children from all different levels of backgrounds, typically ones that had learning difficulties, or ones that were from more troubled backgrounds where uh, the upbringing of them was louder and so they would be louder and everyone was just distracting and our teachers are just ripping their hair out going, oh my God. So I couldn't learn in the way that I wanted to learn. It only when I was about year 10 and started to identify some behaviours where we were studying it and I went to a specialist and they were like, yeah, you've got dyspraxia straight away. Like this is how it's affected you up until this point which made me even more confused and even more agitated. Because now I'm like, well, I've just wasted my whole education. 
And then it got to a point in the last year of school, I was like, I'm just going to go work for my dad. My dad's got a successful plumbing and heating business. So my interest became even less. So I'd become even more distracting. I'd put on report card, I'd get kicked out of class every time. You know, I had, uh, one teacher called me thick as pig shit. One, another teacher called me sheep shit for brains. You know, it, it was just like, it was brutal, but I just used to torment them because I was just so frustrated and so angry. Um, I became a person that would, because of my physical size, no one bullied me physically, but people did it through their words. And because I lacked so much emotional intelligence around what I was doing, that I would just move on to bullying other people. Not physically, I didn't beat anybody up or anything, but again, people say that the words hurt more and I have to agree. So here I am as this, you know, uh, what on the surface is very lucky, uh, plays football, blah, blah, blah. Everyone had this ideology of what I was and what they thought I was. But inside I knew I was this vulnerable, scared, angry little boy that hadn't really healed any of the things that had happened previously. So lo and behold, I went to go work for my dad's business. Didn't work out, hated it, uh, absolutely hated every minute of it. Went into hospitality. I was in that for 14 years and the highs were high and the lows were low. You know, working 80-hour weeks sometimes and um, up until the age of 23, 24, it was like, you know, the salary of like 21 grand a year to do 60-hour weeks. You work out your hourly rate off that and it's not even minimum wage, you know, but you're like, oh, I'm a manager though, so that's all right. And, you know, the company almost brainwashed you into thinking that it's acceptable. Even when I was running a business that was making 100 grand a week, I'm managing a team of 90 staff and I'm getting paid 32 grand a year working 60-hour weeks. Imagine if I was in any other industry, if I'm managing a team of 60 people with a business that generates 100 grand and I'm earning 32 a year. Like, it's mental. It's absolutely mental. So, um, obviously, you become a product of your environment a lot of the time unless you decide to change. So, I became very involved in drugs, alcohol, um, negative language, bad habits, ballooned in weight. You know, I mean, I was as heavy as nearly 20 stone at my heaviest. It's like 130 kilos or something crazy. I'm like 104 now that I lost in the last two years. So, um, yeah, the, it, it drove me to absolute distraction. It made me sort of like borderline a womanizer. You know, I was having one night stands after my four-year relationship ended, trying to fill the void of acceptance and love from other people because I didn't feel like I deserved it myself, you know? So in a three-month period I was forced out of my job due to poor mental health my partner left me um when I had depression my uh I lost two family members and I had you know the ultimate betrayal of what was one of my best friends at the time who essentially was the largest contributing factor in me losing my job because he was spying on me for head office in order to gain a promotion so that was very difficult to accept as well then I lost another family member went to therapy started to become a little bit better fast forward six months and my best friend's dad died of a heart attack and this guy was like a second dad to me in many ways you know we got on so well and well I don't want to dramatize it he wasn't like a second dad he was just someone I got on extremely well with and someone I was very very close to so um that came out of the blue and I remember at the funeral uh, it just hit me different this funeral I'd done all this work on myself trying to become better and this just hit me you know um in a very big way. So 
I remember at the funeral, I drank about 10 pints and I was like, I'm just going to end it today. I'm going to leave the funeral now. I'm going to get in my car and I'm going to go crash it into a bridge. That's the only way I could see where there wouldn't necessarily be a visual from my family to see. Um, obviously, I didn't have access to a gun. I didn't want to put a knife to myself because, you know, do you know what I mean? It, I started having all these thoughts like, how am I going to do it? How can I do it with causing the least amount of pain possible to me and other people? So I remember driving towards this bridge um, with every intention of crashing it. And the phone started ringing. It was my mum just telling me that I'd left my wallet at home. But hearing a voice was like that. And I snapped mm. out of it straight away, slammed the brakes on, car span out of control. I was lucky not to crash or to hurt anyone. And I just sobbed in my car for what felt like forever. Um, but I knew that it wasn't that I wanted to kill myself. It was that I wanted my life at the time to end as I knew it. I mm. wanted the pain to end. So I didn't want to die. I just wanted the pain to stop because I didn't know how to handle it. I had all this amazing support around me. My mum paid for my therapy. I had family. I had friends. I had a great job at the time. And yeah, on the surface, life was good. But no one knew that. No one knew that I'd gone through that. It was only until a couple of years later that I started to tell people. So even then, I was still going through the pain because I didn't tell anyone. I stopped going to therapy. I just kept trying to drink my way out of it, you know, and I could drink up to a bottle, a little bottle and a half of whiskey while working. No, I'd have a clue. I'd, again, I don't tell that to impress anyone. I tell people that because I'm horrified by it. So... When it got to the start of the pandemic last year, you know, I know it's caused a lot of people uh, a lot of pain. So I don't say this in a braggy sense, but it was the best thing that ever happened to me mm. because it just let me hit the pause button and reassess everything. I've always been obsessed by people. When I was at school, looking at the blackboard, getting bored of it, I looked around at people. I looked at the behavior. I looked at the language they were using. What behavior did he just do to annoy her over there? Why did that happen? I became obsessed by patterns of movement. So I just started thinking to myself, well, I understand emotional intelligence of others, but I don't necessarily understand it of myself. And I've always had this passion to want to grow and help people. And that's where I came across the likes of Tony Robbins when I was 18, 19, and mm. Les Brown and Zig Ziglar and Eric Thomas, you know, and Denzel Washington mm. and people like that are just unbelievable. Um, you know, Eric Thomas, especially within the black community, I understand, you know, he's got such a large following. He's such a powerful man for so many different reasons. But um, yeah, I've always had this obsession with people. So I started up my coaching business last um, June. I did all my qualifications through a Tony Robbins program and I've never looked back since. And, you know, then obviously it got to January. I missed working as part of a team. And I'd known both the Adams for a number of years through different friendship circles, but they'd never actually met before. And I rang them both in December and I said, I've got this idea. Da, 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 da. What do you reckon? They were both like, yeah, in. I was like, oh shit, that was easy. <laughs> so uh, I wasn't <laughs> expecting it at all. And um, we've just gone from strength to strength and it's we are where we are today. So yeah, I mean, wow. we, we relay our stories now like it's going to the shop. So for anyone listening to this right now, this isn't, it's not easy for me to say that I've wanted my life to end. It's not easy for Heine to say that, um, you know, going back to that moment of his girlfriend saying he's not attracted to him anymore. 
because you have to relive the pain again, but each time does become a bit easier and it might just help save someone else out there that's going through a tough time right now. So that is it. That is the end of part two of our chat. Um, really, really touching stuff, actually, especially with Adam Smith's journey, you know, being close to uh, suicide. Um, and if you do find yourself having um, suicidal thoughts, then there are emergency numbers that you can call. Um, one of the suicide prevention hotlines is in the written description for this podcast. Um, so please, if you do have those thoughts and you, you feel you're losing hope, um, reach out to someone. Um, and if you find it hard, if you, if you feel like there's no one you know who you can open up to, then at least ring the, you know, these suicide prevention hotlines and they're here to help. Um, and so that's just, just I thought, it'll, you know, it will be worth saying that following up on Adam Smith's transparent um, sharing about his journey um but yeah shout out adam hindley as well for sharing his journey on that and if you want to follow the a-game consultancy um their social media details or their their link tree rather is on this side if you're watching on youtube or you can see uh the link tree link to all their resources in the written description for this episode if you are just listening on a podcast platform um obviously make sure you follow mental roots pod on twitter and instagram uh, i do polls i do interactions dm me let me know how this podcast is helping you and of course like comment and subscribe on youtube um so that the algorithm knows that this content is reaching real human beings um the more you guys interact the more this content gets out there to help those other young young men who are in need of a platform like this 